For March 22nd, 2021, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 664. You're in the Snyder Cut, baby! It's the Overthinking It podcast where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet, and my smart, funny friend is Pete. Hi, hi, Pete. It's Matt. How are you? Hey, you're my smart, funny friend, Matt. <laughs> oh, that's, that's nice. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's a two by two matrix, right? Like <laughs> friends, <laughs> friends who are neither smart nor funny, whom we will, whom we will not name. Friends who are funny but not smart, we will not name those either. Friends who are smart but not funny, many of those probably self-identify, whether rightly or wrongly. And then friends who are smart and funny, and that's where the overthinkers are. That's our that's our one quadrant blog and podcast. Well, Matt. Due to my brutal, brutal losses in last night's Quiplash and other Jackbox games, I have decided that uh, because of quarantine or perhaps something that preceded it, I'm no longer funny. Uh, oh, I'm not I, the funniest person in my marriage. I'm not the funniest person in my house by a huge margin. And I'm just not a funny person anymore. So I got to find a new identity if you find any that are on sale for cheap. I thought, it's, yeah, uh, I, th- I think I came in dead last in one of our one of our Jackbox <laughs> games that- that we you play you virtually. always dominate the one with the drawing. I love that one. Maybe that's yeah. why. Maybe that's yeah. why I like it. Is that I? Is that I end up scoring <laughs> highly in it? But I, the other, you either like it because you win, or you win because you like it. Yeah, it's the right. Exactly. Yeah. Which which came first? The uh, which came first? The ego or the no? Uh, the but I I like the. Um, yeah, I, I, I like the one where you make up, uh, I, I like Quiplash. Yeah, I like the, yeah. the ones where you make up what, like, where, uh, like, phrase, like puns on things or stuff like that. But I, I really just fell apart and I think I came in last, uh, in our, in our, uh, fun, fun Jackbox tournament. My God, in, in quarantine, Pete, we are, we are reduced. <laughs> to playing you know multiplayer party games on a on a video screen over over zoom what else could we do the thing about you don't know jack and its associated games is that they're too much fun and they also are too quick and snappy could we figure out something that is neither quick nor snappy yeah. and also is really not that much fun okay. that we could really pour ourselves into for the podcast this Got week? Got it. So we so we played three Jackbox games over the course of like 90 minutes, right? Yes, so it was it. a it was like a nice feature length party games kind of party sesh, right? And we did that. So here's my pitch, Pete. And you know, okay. tell I tell me what this may be the bad version, but tell me tell me what you think of this. Okay. I'm gonna call it the rather version of okay. our ja- of our Jackbox party. Okay, what we're okay. gonna do is we're gonna take the fun snappy time uh that we had because you know, joking aside about how we lost like it was a good time, uh, but we'll we'll drain uh, a all the color and all the like the will we'll, like turn the brightness on the television way 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 down. So if you're watching it in like the afternoon in Los Angeles, say you can barely make out the shapes that are that are happening on the screen. And then what we'll do is we'll take uh we'll take Quiplash by his head and we'll take the drawing game by his feet and we'll stretch them out. We'll stretch <laughs> them. Just pull really hard until our 90 minutes of fun clocks in at 245 minutes <laughs> of dreary grinding 
uh, mayhem and uh, grieving, you know, just yeah, what uh, if yeah. what, I mean, I want it to be good. Can I have some integrity at least? Oh, sure. Absolutely. We're, like oodles we're, of integrity and voice. Yeah, it's going it's gonna be like and you know what? It, just to make it better because it's the rather version, it will be like me talking at you for four <laughs> hours. It'll be like me in your ears. And yes. it, and if that's ever anything you've wanted, uh podcast listeners who have been with us for six hundred plus episodes. If all you've ever wanted is to have rather in your ears for four hours going, uh um I, you know, like I do, right? If that's all you've ever wanted, then you are in luck because this podcast is the four hour version of our <laughs> Jackbox game. All right. Yes. So, uh, Pete. I'm a rapping robot. <laughs> it's the super slow motion. Everything's in super duper duper slow motion. Everything. Draw a chicken winning a race. <laughs> Sad music and rain. Um, <laughs> So I, you know, w- look, we we watched uh, over here, over here in this household, we watched, um, I think, three or four chapters of the Snyder Cut. Uh, did did you get into uh, the Snyder Cut at all, Pete? Yeah, yeah, three parts. Now, again, we said a bunch of stuff about you know things being joyless and terrible. I don't think the Snyder Cut is bad. I like the Snyder Cut so far, but you know, I watched three parts of it. And we took a break after the second part before we watched the third part. And we took another break after the third part, which I would suggest that you do. Uh, and it is a lot of the things that you've described. Yes. But I thought it was good. I've liked it so far. I'm curious to see if Superman is in it. Here's the uh, problem. Pete, here's the problem with <laughs> cinematic universes. Okay. Okay. I'm going to okay. tell the you the problem. problem. Yeah. Okay. The, the problem with cinematic universes. Um, movies, right? Blockbuster action popcorn movies are supposed to be fun. Would you, would you, <laughs> I mean, like, let me just pause at every, at every, you know, resolution I'm going to make and see if you, uh, you know, see if you agree. Um, popcorn movies should be fun. Resolved. Do sure. you want to, do you want to take the con? Oh, the con, as in like the contrary position, or like the helm of the Enterprise, (laughs) Mister Mister Fenchel, take the con. I don't know why. I don't know why Sean Connery is running the Enterprise now. The red, yeah, it's the reddest of Octobers. Warp, warp us out of here. Some things don't react too well to tax liability. (laughs) Um, The uh, popcorn movies should be fun. Yes. Okay. There's a problem of increasingly raising the stakes in long series of uh, long series of movies. Sure. Okay. Great. The consequence, uh, the the more serialized your storytelling becomes, the more you start to deal with the consequence of things rather than just the catharsis of things. Okay. Yeah. I think I think I, I think I follow where you're coming from. Yeah. And in if you actually take seriously the consequence of the global or universe destruction type of stakes, the you know three billion people dead type of stakes that these this genre of film now traffics in you can you can forgive 
Zack Snyder for the idea that the the whole movie like is a swamp of sadness (laughs) (laughs) that it's like Lois Lane is walking through a swamp of sadness you know um Martha sure. Kent, I mean, like, yeah, forgive him. I mean, you know, that's, Mar- Martha that's Kent, like, like might might yeah. might like uh, get her her truck wheel caught in, with no traction in the swamp of sadness. You know. So uh, okay, so so you're. I mean, this makes sense, right? So you're proposing that there is a natural tendency, as the stakes in these sorts of movies that are centered around violence in one respect or another. Uh, the, the stakes go up, the amount of destruction goes up, and when the and and when you have to serialize it, then the emotional satisfaction of the destruction co- being concluding or being stayed in some way uh, no longer is the end, and you have to see what happens afterwards because as a serial, you have to see what happens next. Right, and this inevitably leads to these moments of vast reckoning where you look back on all of the rubble that's been left in your wake. And you uh, and you have to deal with that, and it can become pretty sad and grim. Yeah, sure. Um, and like yeah. it's it actually, for whatever reason, grief makes for pretty compelling cinema because it can be very operatic. You know, it's sure. like it's this emotional. You know, it can be just this kind of uh, overwhelming emotional force. And you know, in the hands of a skilled filmmaker, that will translate into something that is compelling to watch but it's not necessarily something that like you know fills your soul with joy it, and and I, i'd go so far as to say that like outside of you know outside of the hands of outside of the hands of like the really sort of great artists it it's perhaps perhaps unwholesome you know to like dwell <laughs> dwell too long in that you know i i actually i'm not like i'm not saying that art or entertainment should be really peppy all the time no that's not what i think at all but i also think that it's a powerful force right and it needs to be wielded with um needs to be wielded with care uh, rather right. than with kind of kind of glibness and cynicism, you know, which is the the stock and trade of of Hollywood studio filmmaking, you know, and that that like when those when those three when those three boxes the 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 box of time the box of place and the box of action, you know, come together to form the unity of time place and action. <laughs> Uh, you really better hope that the person who is, uh, the person who is wielding it is, uh, you know, has, has, uh, is, is doing it in a humane way, even, even if the ride is a little bit of, uh, even if the ride is a little bit of a bumpy one. So to, to hit a couple of the examples of what you're talking about. Yeah. Right. So it, I can think of three off the top of my head that are Marvel related in terms of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The yeah. first being Jessica Jones on Netflix, which is something of a reckoning of the so the the Netflix series in general are associated with the destruction that happened in New York City in the movie The Avengers. And I felt like Jessica Jones was the one that felt the most psychologically related to it. But there was this notion that in order to tell you stories in this universe, we had to deal with the damage that had been done. And I'm sure it's in other stuff like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and whatnot, but it definitely felt to me like the tone of and the idea of damage as the centerpiece of Jessica Jones in particular uh, was a, a reckoning of the kind that you're describing. Whereas by contrast, 
Luke Cage's story is one of invulnerability, right? The notion that the wreckage is happening, but this particular character is is invulnerable to it and can kind of persist through it. Whereas with with uh, Jessica Jones, it was more like this thing has kind of possessed me, right? And and I need to overcome and liberate myself from it. Yeah, the it's, second, yeah. it's a, well, it's a little. Yeah, I mean, I I think that those two. I actually really liked those two. They were probably my favorites of the yeah. the Netflix series that got made out of the the Defenders characters. And like, um, I think you didn't like I, you didn't like Immortal Iron Fist, the protector <laughs> of Kudlund or whatever his name is. Oh my goodness! <laughs> the Night of the Flowers. Uh, next question, please. Probably <laughs> um, not to answer that exactly. Like, I liked. Um, you know, I I like those two, and I actually like Jessica Jones is a really good is a really good example of like. So well, I, all of them like the uh, plot wise, they're living with the trauma of the first attack on on New York, like the Chitari attack on on New York. But they also, you know, J- Jessica Jones and and uh, Luke Cage have both kind of different, like one sort of acute, and the other. Uh, uh, longitudinal types of types of trauma that they're sort of living with and and you know and working through and that like you know the uh, what's his name it's not Killmonger kill something they're all they're all kill what? something um, <laughs> doctor you know the, the oh kill Kilgore right? the tenth or the tenth, the tenth doctor right the the, the purple man right <laughs> the purple man uh, right that, I mean that's literally what he's called in the comics right oh yeah or, uh, I think so isn't he isn't he like uh, Purple Man, yeah, Ze- Zebediah Kilgrave is Purple Man, but the, but Tennant, you know, David Tennant, yeah, right? David Tennant, yeah, um, yeah. that that character and his his association, the kind of like the what the sort of allegory for a really sort of soul destroying abusive relationship, um, and uh, and Luke Cage with the kind of the uh, ongoing trauma, you know, wrought on a on a community by uh, racism and and you know all the kind of the attendant ills of that um, are like are unfolded allegorically there and like they're it's it's really worked through like like episode by episode by episode and like so many so much of that you know, Jessica Jones show is taken up with her, like reciting the names of the streets in her hometown as like a grounding technique to like deal with anxiety attacks, you know, ra- rather than her going out and, and kicking ass. Like, and that does come, but like the, the, uh, it, it is like, I don't know. I feel like it, it, because there's a there's a reckoning with it. I'm sorry, I've I've gone and and no, I've, no, no, no. I've gone into a I've gone into a tangent on your on your tangent, and so we're like we're two tangents deep. Uh, I think we should join the main circle uh, again. But like, yeah, it is it is uh, it's a tough thing, and like it's a tough it's a tough storytelling challenge, and and the way to do it is not with more CGI punching. <laughs> so here's what I propose based on what you said. I mm. think so. We've seen superhero kind of down note stories that are trauma focused. We just finished one with WandaVision, right? Mm. That, that are trauma focused and that are trying to deal at least in part with the consequences of the wreckage of the previous superhero stories, right? Infinity War being the sort of chief downer of all of these downers and uh, and, a, and a rather large uh, uh, cultural touchstone of its own at that point, right? And you've you've talked about how – these stories have involved a working through to the extent that they have worked. 
it is because they have involved the working through. And that's been the general action of what's going on. Right. Like Jessica Jones works through Luke Cage punches through the wall. Right. Like we have we have we well, we have, I guess, Infinity War kind of releases and then and then Endgame comes along and just kind of cheers everybody up. And then the work through is what's happening in WandaVision and in other stories that are probably coming up. Right. Like. We, we are not going to talk about Falcon and Winter Soldier this week. Um, we're going to give that a couple of episodes to percolate because there's no need to come up with elaborate theories as to what's happening. It's in the title. Right? Like, it's the Falcon <laughs> and the Winter Soldier, and they're in a TV show. And it's pretty good. But we'll talk yep, about as, it later as, 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 we I watched the, as I watched the first, the, watched the first episode, I watched the, uh, the first scene, and I was like, check. Then I watched <laughs> the second scene, and I was like, check. Yeah, exactly. Falcon, two Falcon, for two. Yep. Falcon, Winter Soldier. Excellent. It's like the opposite of WandaVision in so many ways in that it also delivers exactly what it says it's going to deliver like immediately and unambiguously. Right. Like it's like that's the Falcon and he's flying. Um, But anyway, uh, but I mean, the show is not shallow by any means, but it's not a mystery box show as far as we can tell. It's it's a psycho. It's a sort of procedural psychodrama military action show. Um, At any rate, um, so far. There has not really been a working through in Zack Snyder's Justice League, which is what we watched for this week. At least we watched the first part of it. And I think it's fair because the thing is so long that we would advise people to not watch the whole thing in one sitting. And we suspect that not everybody will have gotten a chance to watch the whole thing because not only is it long, but it's it's the pacing is such that it, it really does kind of take commitment and energy to get through the whole thing. And I would I would recommend breaking it up. But the idea, the notion of heroism that Zack Snyder brings to the table in his work, whether it's 300, whether it's Watchmen, whether it's whatever other thing with glistening abs he's worked on that I'm forgetting about, right? It's, is that it's not a, and by the way, Jason Mamaw abs just really, really on point in this, uh, in the, on, and by point, I mean that they, they, you could cut glass on them. The, the abs. <laughs> I mean, you know, if there's one Zack Snyder has never had a problem photographing an attractive man. I, I will say that much um, as far as I can tell in slow motion in particular. Right. Um, but so it, it, his notion of heroism is more is older. I, I would I would give it an older pl- place in the at least Western literary tradition. Uh, it's more alienated and it is less about. Uh, this sort of psychological overcoming of adversity and more about the dehumanization that happens when a person takes on an extraordinary act that that uh, attaches itself to symbolic significance uh, is how I would describe my feelings about Zack Snyder's notion of heroism is communicated in his movies that a lot of it and uh, the part of filming everybody with these really perfectly honed bodies in this super duper slow motion is that it does it does take the qualia out of it to an extent and sort of extend it and and qualia being the quality of experience right what it feels like uh to, to be human um and it takes it out of that and it sort of creates this notional symbolic you know extended operatic thing uh, that that kind of extends this moment of heroism, and um, and it's it's actually literally said by Cyborg, and one of the things it's like you have no idea what I am, or you know you have no yeah. idea what I've become, or so what you've made me. I think he says to his right. dad, right? And that's like, you know that that's what that is. That's that like sort of uh, th- that's a kind of a trope of that like ultimate alienation to the point of not even really being a person anymore. Right, right, right. It's the old sort of. Uh, 
Odysseus Achilles kind of journey where it's like we're we're really used to more of the Odysseus kind of heroes who eventually come home. And Zack Snyder doesn't do that kind of hero. Right? Like Zack Snyder's heroes don't go home. Zack Snyder's heroes go into the fire. Yeah. Right. Um, and uh and so one of the things I really liked about this story about Zack Snyder's Justice League, the intro so far, is also, you know, one of the big problems with it, which is that it really does take time to introduce a bunch of the major characters who've even been in previous movies, whether they've been in previous movies or not, like all over again. And it has this uh, style of doing it where each one gets a literally every character who I think can be said to be a quote unquote member of the quote unquote Justice League mm. eventually gets a slow motion musical montage of them going about something in their everyday life that like exemplifies a dimension of their heroism. <laughs> like, 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 and it's, and it's, it's all to this music you've never heard before. That's by some, some musician that I'm sure Zack Snyder thinks is awesome or somebody else thinks is awesome. Maybe you're cool enough that you know who it is, but it's definitely cooler than the music I know. But it's like, and they're very, when Pete says yeah. music, he means pop track. Like he means like yeah. rock and roll song or something. Yeah. Or like yeah. Yeah. It's like singer songwriter type of thing. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it, yeah. It's like watching a prestige television show on HBO where all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's that guy who was in that Gus Van Sant movie soundtrack. Right. Is singing a song and Tony Soprano is driving to the grocery store and it's like very soulful and folksy. You know, it's that phenomenon that was uh, pioneered by your favorite show. Uh, you Matt. Uh, Dawson's Creek. Right. Yeah. So imagine that 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 sort of moment happens. Every this is this time is what we're doing. It's a, it's yeah. it's Pete's heroism in podcasting set to the <laughs> set to the sounds of Elliot Smith. Right. Like that. Yeah. So yeah. I, uh, uh, Small will actually. I would say that that Dawson's Creek is associated with it, but it really reached its apotheosis in the OC and Gossip Girl. Um, right, right, right. In the, in the Josh Schwartz shows, uh, right. that like, uh, that where the music supervision became this, this enormous thing and huge, um, you know, huge, uh, uh, amounts of money changed hands or whatever, or it like launched stars or I don't know. I'm, I'm cynical. I assume there's, there's payola. Okay. So they're going around, they're going around doing their heroic thing. They're doing it in slow motion, the wind yeah. and rain lashing at their gritted teeth. <laughs> You know, <laughs> and there's a, and there's a pop track. There's like, uh, you know, uh, kind of a, you know, I don't know, kind of a scratchy voiced, uh, kind of scratchy voiced male singer songwriter singing a, uh, singing a, like, uh, rock folk kind of, um, you know, right. electrified, uh, really moody kind of ballad. Right, right, right. And you would, and it's a little bit different for each character, but it's not that different. <laughs> it's a little I mean I will say I mean there it's are no, it's yeah. it's a kind of working through right it's elaborations on yeah. a theme like and if you don't know what if you don't know what that is it's a it's a term from psychoanalysis it's a term I think coined coined by Freud so you know in the early part of the 20th century uh about the kind of the like the the return to the same material over and over again like if you have something that like like a scab that you can't help picking at or like a a, a I don't know, a piece of your dinner that's stuck in your teeth and you can't, you can't help kind of like working it until it, it works free. You know, we do the same thing with like d things that have conversations that have been upsetting or fights that we've had. And in an extreme sense, like, uh, 
moments in our lives that have been decisive in one one way or another, but that are kind of upsetting, right? That have been traumatic or like uh, hard to integrate. So we, you know, go to them and like we think about them over and over and we like tell the story of them to ourselves over and over and over. Or if you're in psychoanalysis, you tell the story over and over and over to your psychoanalyst with kind of new material and new insights. And that's how, you know, that's how you, you know, that's how you do it. That's how we, that's how we get better, right? Like that's through that process of kind of, of using, you know, using narrative to kind Kind of get at insight and also to kind of unlock new unconscious unconscious material uh that might help it integrate better right you you do that and i i suppose like in in I, not all repetitions are working throughs but but all working throughs are repetitions and so that like to the sense to in the in the sense that there are repetitions there are sort of tropes right of zach snyder Right. It, the, the, this is the thing, you know, and these all of these conversations have uh, this is the thing, Pete. The thing is this um, all, all of the conversations I've heard have a kind of big Lebowski vibe about them of uh, of like, say what you will about the tenets of national socialism. At least it's an ethos. Right. Say what you will about the kind of like the grinding joyless darkness of the Snyder verse. Like at least it's at least it's an auteurist style. You know, <laughs> at least yeah. it's uh, at least it's a an, an artist with a voice. Voice that is recognizably his own, you know, uh, that we can that we can identify and sort of talk about rather than a, a kind of like warmed over. And and I think that like the idea is that there's this kind of like warmed over hyper corporate pablum um, that uh, that the Marvel movies are. Now, I think that's an unfair criticism of of the Marvel movies, but I see how you arrive at it. Right. I think that the. Uh certainly certainly batman v superman dawn of justice and justice league the cut we all paid 15 dollars to see are both trash <laughs> like i mean I know, trash is a little strong but they don't have that they don't, they don't have coherence um and and i mean you do get the sense that that there were sort of mis. i would i'll say that i don't want to make it very very unambiguously clear the Zack snyder cut of justice league is much better than the justice league movie you saw in the theater right you should have heard this already if you saw it in the theater full stop I don't think that that is like controversial thing to say, right? Yeah. But it's much more Zack Snyder, right? It's not as funny. And and earlier on when we complained, right? When when Zack Snyder made Man of Steel, and I remember complaining so much about the murder, right? <laughs> like, oh, why did Superman murder that guy, right? Uh, you know, it it felt pretty sad, and it was like through a lot of it, oh, I wish there was kind of more humor. Uh, ultimately, t- making that left turn into doing that ended up being not so great a thing, I think, for for uh, for enjoying where things were going. I guess I guess what I would say is that when they made Man of Steel, I, I would say that there's sort of a converse or a contrapositive to what you were suggesting, Matt, huh. which is like if the damages of superhero movies in serial aggregate uh, over time, then eventually there needs to be a story about uh all of the bad things that have happened right um and and that sort of like deals with all of the sort of sadness and sorrow that's been caused by all the destruction and i guess the contrapositive would be if there hasn't been a story of all the sadness and destruction then like none of the, the 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 sort of damage of the superhero movies hasn't aggregated yeah right and to make that into more of a converse it's like in Man of Steel, it might have felt a little bit out of place because the damage hadn't aggregated yet. You know, it, it might, the the whimsical section of Man of Steel pretty much ends as soon as like 
Russell Crowe stops flying on a dragonfly through a bunch of mushrooms, right? Like, <laughs> like, which I believe was something that happened. <laughs> I think that happened in one of these movies. I'm probably getting the details entirely wrong, but it's like Man of Steel faced against the dire consequences of everything happening right away. And and I mean, that's one of the reasons we described it as a Greek tragedy rather than a heroic, you know, uh, melodrama of the sort that we might be more accustomed to. This movie it sort of feels like it's earned being about tragic failures <laughs> because and on several levels on one, because at this point there have been a bunch of these movies that have aggregated a whole bunch of destruction in the fictional world. Also in the non-fictional, like sort of metafictional world, there has been this sort of failure of these movies to make, to produce a Marvel cinematic universe quality cinematic universe. Right. Uh, and there's been the sort of failures of coherence. There's been failures of co-working and of teamwork right and of of behavior yep. uh, by leadership behind all these things and then furthermore of course we would be remiss not to mention Zack snyder's own like horrible horrible loss that he's working through at this yep. point so like or so, that so he has yeah. that he, that he has worked through in his private life enough to be able to return to work right like that, right, that, right right you know but but that still sort of informs uh, you know, my, my, a lot of families get this and mine has gotten it where there's been a loss of a child at a, a tragically young age. One of my, my cousins was killed in a car accident and, and, you know, the, the, his mother really lives with it every day, like never, never got over it and, and won't. And it happened in, you know, close to 1990. And like, that's, you know, so you, you have to imagine that, yeah, the, the man, the man who comes to to finish the Snyder Cut is not the the man who embarked upon the first Justice League uh, Justice League movie, and that's I mean, and that's an interesting that's an interesting thing about these characters, right? Like the, because they they kind of need that Simpsons elasticity, you know, where they they return to the default state. Um, at the end of uh at the end of every episode in order to like continue to continue to sell tickets right like if if they told if they told you the movie was like it's a it's about superman but he's broken and depressed the whole time would you would you line up and pay 15 bucks 15 bucks where are you seeing a movie pete 25 bucks you know <laughs> plus <laughs> plus I your, pay I pay four dollars to see a lot of the movies on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I saw I saw Mission Impossible Rogue Nation at eleven o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. I was barely I was barely even barely even awake. It's so yeah. worth it. <laughs> no, it was great though. That movie was great. Uh, the the joke the one I always think of as being like totally empty theater was King Arthur: Legend of the Sword, but uh, man, even that feels like so long ago. But I hear what you're but saying, that, like, you know, you know. So yeah, so absolutely, he like suffered this this. Uh, you know, may may no one ever suffer the the terrible loss that that he has suffered. It's it's awful, and and like cu- coming to it, you can you can understand that it might be a theme. It might become kind of a, or it might be a preoccupation of of this film just just due to timing. I don't know. I, I yeah, feel it's interesting because it could be something that's in it because of him, or it could be something that's in it because of us. It, it, it's, it's impossible to make the distinction. Yeah, there's a, there's a good thing. point. Yeah, because you, know? you you show up at the at the movie with the the assumptions that you have about the the people who who made it. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. also, it's about this friend of everybody's who just dies at the beginning of the movie in a very, very graphic and like right there at the beginning of the movie. You watch Superman die. It's pretty intense. 
and, and, and they don't they don't mince anything on it. I don't remember that from the first movie. Uh, but of course, I can't remember the first movie. Uh, but I will say just to go back to those montages. I don't, I yeah, wanna... I don't remember Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice a lot. Uh, I, I don't remember Man of Steel a lot. All I remember is that the, the, there were some really good, really uh, high pathos steel girders in Man of Steel, you know, and that was. Lawrence Fishburne was great. He was. <laughs> he actually, he actually really was. That's the thing that I remember. Like he did one scene in that movie, like where he's standing with someone who's trapped under some rubble and it was like so it was so moving it was like oh yeah. that's what that's what you get when you hire Lawrence Fishburne a you know world class actor to uh to do a part in your movie about wanton destruction you get a sense of the kind of the the emotional cost of the wanton destruction you know right right exactly okay so just i want to I, I wrote a note here that i wanted to go through which is the members of the Justice League as they are introduced with their human or sort of I refer to them as mortal virtues that they have, which are set in opposition to a a, a spiritual as well as physical death, which seems to be pervading the entire movie, both the literal both the death of Superman in a literal and symbolic sense and the grief of these individual characters for things that have happened, the grief of Zack Snyder, the grief of the audience watching Zack Snyder, the grief of everybody who's been trying to enjoy the DC movies, the grief of the world for the pandemic, (laughs) right? Billie Eilish changed her hair color. Everything's terrible, right? So, so, but each of these, these are the, these are the moral virtues. And it was interesting. One of the first interesting ones is that they don't do one for Batman. They Batman, at least in the first three parts of justice league, doesn't get a slow motion montage that tells you who he is, as far as I remember. Um, but does he get one later? I, I don't know. I don't Have know. you seen? Not, yeah, it hasn't happened. I think I'm one part ahead of you, and it hasn't. It yeah. hasn't happened yet. Because he also hasn't dressed up like Batman yet. Which is this? This cut really takes its time in getting to those story beats, right? Like there's been Batman has just been Ben Affleck, other than the very very first shot. Which is basically the end of Batman versus Superman: Dawn of Justice. Oh yeah, the 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 main innovation of this over the Christopher Nolan Batman movies is that uh, in the Christopher Nolan Batman movies, when Christian Bale talked, he talked, and when he was Batman, he talked like this. In these movies, right when Ben Affleck is Bruce Wayne, Affleck, when Ben Affleck, Affleck is Bruce Wayne, he talks like this. Bruce Wayne <laughs> talks like this. And then Batman has kind of a Bane voice uh, when 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 you yes. hear it. It has this kind of unnatural amplification and echo to it. It would be very painful for you. That's because <laughs> when he puts the bat suit on, it's when he drinks his Dunkin' Ice. And it just soothes those vocal cords. It just soothes them. And they tighten up with that caffeinated sugar. Uh, so, so here is what I have. So there isn't one for Batman and then there is one for Wonder Woman, but Wonder Woman is sort of, is show, is shown to you completed, right? You, you, you meet Wonder Woman completed in this movie, yeah, it, whereas everybody unlike, else you meet at their origin. Well, you already, of. you already sort of saw it in, in, uh, WW84, um, <laughs> <laughs> rest in peace. <laughs> WW84, rest in peace. Morning till I join you. <laughs> like, <laughs> that was, uh, you know, which was uh, on par with the first 83 WWs. Um, the, the kind of the pointless scene that really should have come back thematically somehow should have closed that story circle in the, uh, in the beginning, you meet young Diana and sort of deal with uh, what she's like and kind of how her values got, 
got formed, um, right. or at least the first time that you saw uh, a golden suit ex machina. So the the yeah, the, but yeah, Batman doesn't Batman doesn't get one. It's it's interesting. I don't know. I, sorry, I have a. I, you continue your thing. I have a bunch of thoughts, but I, I want okay. you to to drive I just your point home. Put the, say this list because lists are, of course, the highest form of content. <laughs> it's, so I have for Flash that his mortal virtue is passion. Okay, so wait, it's like it's like 18, oh, 18 ways of grieving in the the Snyder cut that number 12 will astonish you. Or is that <laughs> are the are the curiosity gap headlines or is that passe now? Like now it's just, you know, here are here are three things that, you, that the title is longer than the article. Here here are three things about the thing. Okay, so what is what is the the mortal virtue? The mortal virtue of Flash is is passion. Uh-huh. He is he is libido. He is hungry, and and when everything is going well, and so one of the things that I like about good when I one of the things that makes me like a superhero movie or more likely to like a superhero movie is when the form and function of the story relates to the superhero's superpowers in a straightforwardish kind of way, right? It sort of justifies making the story about the superhero because you know the powers are going to be sitting around, and if they're not serving some sort of character function, then it's going to be pretty tough to have that story be satisfying and have it feel like it has a cogence to sort of internal resonances and and internal kind of, uh, you know, resolve the ambiguities and those sorts of fun things. So so Flash, Flash rightfully, Flash who has come fully into his role as a hero in the Justice League is a passionate, right? That's his sort of individual mortal virtue. And we see it because he he rescues the girl from the flipping hot dog uh, car accident, right? The young woman. And there's the, his song is about love. Right. And it's like, oh, he's looking for love. He's he's out there in the world looking for things. He has appetites. He takes a sausage out of the air. Right. Um, <laughs> and and so that's sort of what makes him flash. And and the thing that is the problem for him at the beginning of the movie is his flashness has been arrested. Right. And it's been arrested because he can't follow his individual passions because he's hung up on trying to free his father from prison. Right. And so he has these appetites and passions that were he to pursue them would create wonder and marvel. Right. And make things better for people. But he can't because he's stuck. Right. Um, And the song that they sing is about passion. Right. Um, Aquaman's song is about authority or mastery right it's about being king uh, but but aquaman has this sense of rightful authority uh that emerges from in the way it's presented a, a style of servant leadership right wherein he knows how he he's committed to helping other people right and he derives his authority over other people by his capability to help them and which arises from it is a pride right and, and, a, and a an ego that is invested in the helping of others right and it's his song is about being king and it's about the storms that he faces and it's that line is you know tell them tell them not to go out there in the storm no, right? he's, he's a life t- it's more than that tell them to respect Respect the storm. Respect the storm, right? Yeah, exactly. And so, but Aquaman, of course, he's not king because he has problems in his family that are further elucidated in the Aquaman movie, which I don't even remember whether it comes before or after the events of this movie because that movie I sort of watched on my wife's uh, plane monitor. Like, I didn't watch it myself. <laughs> so I don't really know what happened. I know that Elon Musk's ex is in it, and she's in this one too. Um, that's a that's a tongue twister for you. Elon Musk's ex is in it. Elon Musk's ex is in it. Um, 
So he's so the Flash is passionate. You know, if I ever had a Musk ox, I'd name it Elon, <laughs> so that it would be Elon Musk ox. There we go. So so Flash is passionate. Aquaman is authoritative. Uh-huh. Uh, Cyborg has talent. Yep. Right. Cyborg is like, I mean, he's he's W.E.B. Du Bois's talented tenth. Right. He is this 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 young man of of boundless possibility. Uh, and, and he's communicated, of course, in this high school hero football slow motion uh, montage to music. And uh, I would say that Lois Lane is presented, at least in the beginning of the movie, as if she's going to be part of the Justice League. And her virtue is uh, grit, perseverance, because she's the one who walks through the pouring rain with the umbrella, just sort of like strong and unshakable, but like also mourning. Right. It's the ability to keep going. You know, the way that Rocky would say it is, you know, it's it's not the ability, it's the ability to get up and keep moving forward. Right. Keep moving forward. That's what Lois Lane does. Is she keeps moving forward, sure. which makes sense because her superpower is that she's a reporter who's very persistent. Right. Yeah. Um, and so and I don't know. Again, I don't remember or know what she does in the rest of the movie. But that's but she's given a Justice League montage. And that's what she does. She brings coffee to the cop right through her perseverance, which I'm sure is a metaphor for what she'll do later in the movie. And what um, so Wonder Woman's is OK. I'm going to guess that Wonder yeah. Woman's is mercy. Right. Oh, interesting. And that because her she's a she's a defender. She's a defender of a, of a race of people, humans that don't really deserve it, you know, <laughs> and that like over and over again, you know, people's sort of cupidity and their short sightedness and all these kinds of things sort of prove that they don't deserve a, a hero as good as as Diana. But she she sort of. Uh, she sort of stays stays there, saving them from the the worst effects of their their short sightedness. But what was uh, what was yours? Oh, for me, I had her as duty. Huh? Yeah. But okay. I think that's similar. Well, because because her montage is also weird because it's not symmetrical. Right. Uh, Batman doesn't get one. Wonder Woman gets one having already basically joined the Justice League. Yeah. She and and she shows up standing on. The Statue of Justice, right? right? With the yeah, the blindfolded Statue of Justice with the scales in one hand and a sword pointed straight up in the air, <laughs> straight up. Yes, <laughs> and, 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 you know. and Wonder Woman is literally holding on to these upwardly, you know. <laughs> I don't want to use a word like turgid. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but I know, it's not. I know it's people not. get at me in the comments, but <laughs> if I start calling things out. Only if, the, only if the article is a decade old. Um, the... Uh, yeah, but I actually my point my point about that was not it's uh not the um tumescent nature of no, the no. of this sword. It was actually more that like uh there are statues of justice that are holding the scales high like now is scale time and I have the sword in my other hand but sword time is later, right? Like right, and those right, are right. those are statues that emphasize the deliberative aspect of justice, the kind of the balancing act of, you know, uh determining the truth and kind of figuring out an equitable solution to uh to a problem and then there are statues of justice where it's like okay i'm holding these this sales but it's sword time get get here comes some justice now <laughs> you know and that that sword's about to swing so yeah. that uh you know it's it's that kind of it's that kind of justice that that we're look, looking at like uh way in time is over now it's time for sword stuff you know? <laughs> yeah it's uh <laughs> measure twice cut once right <laughs> 
<laughs> There's the joke. Okay. So yeah, and and she's full on she's full on Wonder Woman. She's preventing a nihilist uh yeah, these people these people are nihilists. These people are cowards, Donnie. They're not nihilists, they're historical reenactors <laughs> who use Steve Warren's automatic weapons. Just go to a Ren Fair, Bruce Bolton. What are you even doing? <laughs> he thought life was better before the blip. And yeah. he went to uh oh sorry, wrong wrong franchise. And and uh yeah, she's she's there not only stopping the kind of the most catastrophic uh effect of this, which would be, you know, he's gonna detonate a bomb, which, you know, I don't know, it like it kills a lot of people. It doesn't send humanity back to the dark ages. It like it doesn't seems like I, I don't know maybe he's back from the dark ages and he has a just a bad grip on well, grip on grip on causality but uh it's, it's the he, he saw he watched fight club too many times it's what happens oh, at the right. end of fight club right yeah. is that because if you recall at the end of i mean spoilers for fight club the first rule of fight club is fight club came out 15 years ago so if you wanted to watch fight club you should probably do so the second role of fight club is i'm sure it's easy to find if you want to watch it hmm. um the third role of fight club is i don't think we've ever talked about fight club on the podcast yeah, it's, but, it's, it came out before it came out before we yeah. started that's that's interesting that's one to throw on the pile for a for a classic yeah. to go back to yeah so so because at the end of fight club they blow up all the skyscrapers for all the credit card companies, I think in, in Delaware, I forget where they are, with the notion being that this will erase all records of people's credit card debt, which will cause a lot of people, a lot of financial chaos and will allow people to kind of liberate themselves. This was, even in 1996, this was a stretch, but it was much more, it's much more of a stretch now uh, than it was in 1996. It's very, yeah, it's very symbolic, right? Like These, uh, these, these uh, things probably are Because they're transactions on, on a distributed ledger <laughs> on a blockchain. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, but that, uh, so not only, so not only is she preventing the, the pointless plot um, of, you know, blowing up some, some. The what? city of London, I think, right? Yeah, are they in the London? city. Yeah. yeah, the city of London. So like the yeah. financial center yeah. of, of Europe. Um but also that they were making this movie. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Which was a while ago. This <laughs> Pre, yeah. <laughs> this is a yeah. pre-Brexit film. That's fair uh, enough. I mean, you say measure yeah. twice, cut once, but this is this movie they like measured once and cut twice, once by Joss Whedon and once by Zack yeah. Snyder. So yeah. the the um you know, but then she also is gonna like stop and stop every bullet, stop yeah. every bullet until the girls are empowered, uh, until the the you know until she can tell the the school child you can be anything that you want to be um, right. when you grow up. Uh, right. there, there Which were, I thought was funny because it was like, "Can I be you?" And she's like, "You could be anything you want to be." And since this is kind of a Zack Snyder movie, I'm like, "Okay, so the implication is my life sucks. You don't want to be like me. And yeah, you're gonna when you're older, you're gonna want to be something else." Uh, yeah, the 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 right the Joss Whedon answer to that the, the would be like, "Can I be like you?" Uh, young lady, you already are, you know, or something, <laughs> something along the lines of that, right? Like, uh, you don't have to wait and you don't have to be like me. You can be the most like yourself and that, but that's not this movie. That's not what this, uh, that's not the, the, the Snyder cut, baby. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna die. Okay, so so we have these uh, we have these characters who are introduced with sort of uh, as you say mortal virtues um, that uh, 
that exemplify them or that like at least frame the the context for their for their participation um let, just a quick word about the there and and that's actually a lot of the work of the first three other than introducing um introducing steppenwolf uh which is a introducing an, steppenwolf which is an actor actor focused theater in chicago uh you know a lot of a lot of great chicago actors um so yes, like it's, uh it's Gary Sinise playing Magic Carpet Ride is what it is. <laughs> John Malkovich doing uh yeah the uh Frank Frank Galati is yeah John Malkovich <laughs> doing acid <laughs> playing bass solos. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this movie is missing some John Malkovich. I actually wish there were a lot of people in this movie and you you just you, you miss John Malkovich a little bit. Um the sense one of the senses that you get from the Avengers just to compare and contrast a little bit yeah. is that like even when they're, you know, being prickly and sniping at each other, even when they're like kind of not getting along and being, uh, you know, being like cranky pantses, which, which they often are, um, you get the sense that there is an energy that they have together that is more than dutiful, right? That they recognize that they raise one another's game, you know, mm-hmm. and that like the sense that the, um, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts somehow. Now we haven't seen the sort of the whole justice league, justice leaguing, you know, yeah. uh, we in league, we haven't seen them in league yet, but the, the idea is just like, well, you have to, you have to do this. You ha- sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm Ben Affleck pre uh, pre Duncan Ice. Uh, you have to do this because it's because the the bad guys the bad guys coming and he has a goat helmet on and uh, <laughs> you, we need you the world the world needs you right there isn't there's a sense of like these individuals who are sort of in it rather who are who are in it for whatever reason and the um, the film sets them up with with reasons like with Aquaman and with um, Cyborg, you may not have gotten to cyborgs yet, even, but like, no, no, I, I got to cyborg. Yeah, that he's like, um, you know, that the the Steppenwolf steals his dad, you know, and yeah. and is gonna kidnaps him, and and that is when he, uh, you know, sort of leagues up, and ditto for for Aquaman, like uh, Steppenwolf d- invades Atlantis and and steals the the Unity of Time box, and that like, um. <laughs> and so like uh and Diana's there cuz she's there already and uh Batman's there because he's putting it all together. The Flash is there because he's lonely and needs friends. Yes, <laughs> you yes. Know? Which hits different in this version of the movie than it did in the last one. Yeah. As does the line, maybe someone who spends all his time like alone in a cave shouldn't be the one recruiting people <laughs> or whatever. And I forget exactly. That line also hits different in the Snyder cut than the uh these the uh Whedon cut of this movie sure um yeah because it is a lot less silly and the jokes come from a greater place of sadness you know and um, I, I will say that like pete i recall you saying at the 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 uh theatrical justice league cut this may not have been a good movie um 
but this is an excellent Aquaman. This is an excellent Jason yes. Momoa movie. It was it was like a fifteen out of ten Aquaman movie, <laughs> yeah, like a absolutely. six or five or six out of ten Justice League movie, and, going, and like a three out of ten Superman movie, something like that. I forget the exact ratings. If you remember, put them in the comments. And he was like, um, and he, he was a lot surlier. He was a lot kind of sassier, yeah. you know, in. Uh, Right, like in a sitcom neighbor type of way, uh, when he was saving people from the storms, right. um, r- rather than being kind of like gruff, uh, about it, kind of gruff and like unapproachable. And that, like, um, I, so I, I wonder, we haven't, we haven't finished it yet, but I wonder if this will not turn out to be superior as a film, but markedly inferior as a Jason Momoa film. Because <laughs> here's the secret about Jason Momoa. He's funny, right? <laughs> Jason Momoa, have you watched Jason Momoa, Momoa on Saturday Night Live? He's great, right? Like he's, he's a very funny performer. And because he is always these like exotic, sexy characters, they sometimes don't let him stretch those muscles. But he should stretch every muscle he has all the time. Uh, cause otherwise he's going to injure himself. Right. Exactly. It's a really, you know, dynamic, dynamic warmups, Jason Momoa. It's, you know, <laughs> static stretching is overrated. It's one of those things we believed for a lot of, a lot of time. Like, Wait, uh, is, has Jason Momoa done his, uh, uh, kindergarten cop movie yet? Oh, I don't know. His, his, the pacifier. If yeah, you will. Cause, Cause you know, you reach a certain point as like a sort of burly male sex symbol kind of guy and you do your kindergarten cop, right? Um, he should get on that people. Oh, wow. If you haven't done that yet, like I want to watch Jason Momoa's, uh, kindergarten cop movie, but they did one for Batista, right? <laughs> yes, they did. Oh God. They did. It was called, well, I forget what it was called, but he was like a secret service agent or something like that. Or, a yeah, yeah my, my spy or my secret agent, or I, I forget. I'll, I'll look it up. But, uh, yeah, man. Wow. Jason, Jason Momoa, who, who is like, I, I, I have to say so far, thus far, less delightful than, uh, yes. than he had been in the, the theatrical cut. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think the character is written with less of a sense of delight and, and, uh, more of a sense of country rock. I guess I we're, uh, we're winding down here, Pete. Okay. We're kind of on the downslope, but I, I guess we should talk a little bit. We talked a lot about the- for four hours. We should just put it all in and not cut any of it. <laughs> Um, the, uh, the, the villain let's talk about, you know, um, now this, this plot is blatantly ripped off from the Michael Bay Transformers movies, which began before time was, there was the cube and like, just as the heightening move on this, they've said, well, what if there's two cubes? No, two, two cubes is not christ-like and it's not christian enough you know like three cubes you know uh but but just to throw them off the scent we'll call them the mother boxes you know and that's uh that's how this this movie got uh got its you know doomsday device it was uh just ripping off transformers ripping look, off michael look, bay any the one of the real i think historiological if that's a word historiographical problems with these sorts of very sensible claims is that jack kirby is spitting on them from his grave (laughs) they'd be like oh man this dark side guy is just like thanos it's like no thanos is just like dark side dark side was first right like jack kirby was ripped off by Marvel and he was ripped and nobody gave him a fair shake intellectual property ownership of his characters. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> the idea that like, no, no, no. Jack Kirby came up with this when he was like smoking hashish in the seventies or in the late sixties or it. something. 
and put it in a comic book. No, but again, it's fair, right? It's like there's this there's an Ouroboros that's happening here where Justice League has to reckon with all the other movies that got their act together faster and put out the movie that's about the story that they are also about. Right. right that or even, sort of like, yeah, yeah. sure. Fair enough. Even if Justice League has kind of the first claim on the IP. I, I do like that with the, like the incredible advantage advances that we've seen in computer graphics, um, that the, the sort of the apotheosis of this, the latest apotheosis of this is rendering a 3d box. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, like one of those things. We actually have one for my baby son. Those things with the little pins where you put your hand in it yes. and like the, the the pattern of it appears on top. What are those called? Mother boxes? They- <laughs> no. Um, the uh, yeah, that that's. I just I just remember rendering a 3D box in like 3D software, like ray tracing software in the 1990s. It took like you know, maybe four or five hours to render a simple 3D box with light shining on it. And now, you know, now that uh, we've reached this incredible pinnacle of the realistic representation of unreal things on film via computer graphics, um, that uh, the, you know, the thing that we choose to turn our awesome power towards is rendering a 3D box. Um <laughs> I'm a little fatigued, Pete, by the CGI punching. Uh, okay. the, the battles that we've seen, one in, in the Amazon's island, Themyscira, uh, one in Atlantis and, um, oh, there's another one. Isn't there another one? There's one underground that's about to happen, I think, where, where, where you are, where they all go. Um, they all go fight him under Gotham Harbor or whatever it is. And that, like, uh, you know that that it's just I don't I don't know it's the the sense of I don't know there's there's a kind of a fatiguing quality um, to all of this and you know I'm watching these with Christina who is not a uh, dutiful she doesn't have the the Amazonian sense of duty that you and I have to watch every superhero movie that's released and so a lot of these things hit harder for her. Uh, and and she like actually reacts to them like oh or or wow or stuff and i'm like eh, you know like oh mindless destruction so several thousand lives lost okay cgi punching infrastructure crumbling <laughs> took the whole works pro- took the whole period of the works progress administration to put that building together and it's come down in 45 seconds okay you know and that uh that that um you know uh i'm i'm a little fatigued by it i i have to say and even like one third what am i one third 40 percent 45 percent of the way in uh maybe i think one chapter ahead of you that like um that i i just even now i'm am a little weary from the from all the cgi punching because one of the things that the movie seems to promise is alternative solutions to these problems. I guess what even more than that, I think the most impressive thing about this movie, the first time I saw it, other than Jason Momoa's presence and charisma was that Wonder Woman scene in the, with the hostages. It, it, it allows the characters to have DC comics level, super speed and super strength and not have it completely unmoor what's going on in the movie because it, the way it shoots and composes the sequences the characters are adequately challenged, even with their tremendous talents, 
right? Right. Um, I mean, that's part of the benefit of always going to 11 all the time <laughs> is that if you have a character who has super speed, they don't find themselves, you know, uh, bored with what's happening. Sure. But when when they get around to introducing, oh, yeah, and by the way, Cyborg, you can control all computers. It makes me think, oh, they're going to do the same thing with his ability to control computers that they could do with Wonder Woman's super speed or ability to block bullets. Right. Um, and I guess they probably can't. Right. I mean, it's they, I mean, hackathon stuff. You know, <laughs> Sam, Regal, Sam Regal NordVPN ads on the Critical Role stream, notwithstanding, like hackathon scenes are usually pretty bad. Right? Like, um, and uh, oh, does, God, does he have ever the been planet? to Maybe. a hackathon? It's a, like a hotel ballroom, you know, with plastic, you know, plastic banquet tables and, and folding chairs set up. You know, and a, a lot yeah. of people who who may or may not observe the same hygiene protocols that you do sitting sitting up and down. Now, they're my people and I love them, but uh, I don't want to watch a, a Snyder cut of it. But if it were if it were a Snyder cut of it, it would be like just the the lights would be very low. The faces would be half in shadow, but illuminated by a ghostly glow from the screen, either orange or purple, you know, and the camera would track very slowly slowly down the long, long, long stretch of the banquet table until, <laughs> until getting to the end, at which point it would turn and track down the other side. Playing a pop song. <laughs> it goes like this, the fourth. Oh, I, I just got really sad because that would totally have been written by the Fountains of Wayne guy. Oh, <laughs> hallelujah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Zack Snyder, don't. They're already dead. <laughs> All right. Let's leave it there for now. Thanks very much for listening, Pete. Thanks for podcasting. We'll probably check in again when we're done with the Snyder cut. We should probably watch the end of it by like this time next year or something. <laughs> I do like uh I do like the 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 thing let me let me just sort of give you a peek behind the curtain this is some OTI BTS right here you know whenever Pete suggests a uh a topic one of my common questions is do you really think we can get an hour out of that <laughs> At this point, I just should know better. <laughs> just... Every time you say that, every time you say that, uh, two images fill my mind. Uh -huh. One of them is uh, sun-scalded Billy Corgan riding Big Thunder Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And asking the reporters, what the hell do you want from me? <laughs> and, and the other one is, is the selfie of Andy McDowell, who didn't get to ride in first class on her airplane because of like a mistake and a, and a, and a customer service error. And so had to ride coach uh, and befriended all the people in coach uh, because we sure got well over an hour out of both of those things. <laughs> And those are two of my favorite podcast topics. I really enjoyed those. Uh, well, Too bad stuff like that doesn't happen every day. I was looking at it and it's like, oh man, this is all just about Kar the Kardashian empire is is robust and stands strong, right? Even Kanye less or Kanye full, it still is uh it still is powerful because there's oh, still yeah. an entertainment news story that's out there. Oh, absolutely. So that they're they're all over my uh all over my Snapchat stories. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> right. We'll be back next week with more Overthinking It podcast. Till then, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of a scrutiny. Probably. Lightning, lightning, machine gun fire. Muscles, arrows, explosions, millions. Jump the pet mustache and fills the whole frame. <laughs>